The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be a part of that one holy, Catholic, universal church. Really, we, uh, meeting here in Powell, we're not a cult, uh, even though that's been some of the, the charges brought against us at times, uh, yet uh, we are a part of that one faith, that one universal uh, church. And we are so grateful uh, that you have granted us faith to believe uh, the truth, the truth that we just confessed, the the summary of uh, the Christian faith. Uh, We gladly embrace it. We gladly uh, confess it. And we are so grateful that we can do this as one body with one voice glorifying you uh, together. Uh, We are not alone. We thank you for that, Father. Uh, We thank you for the work that you have been doing uh, among us, and we ask that you would continue to at work by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, knowing that uh, we are still very sinful with much sin and, and unrighteousness, but you who have promised to sanctify us are sanctifying us. And so, Father, we do pray you continue that. Father, we thank you for your word and even uh, your word uh, declared, and we thank you for this this ancient book, the scripture, uh, the authoritative word from your mouth, inerrant, infallible, perfect in every way. And Father, we ask you to help us understand it as we embark on this uh, new study, this short study in the book of Ruth, that we would be richly blessed by it because it is your very word. And we pray, Father, that you would be with both preacher and hearer. Of course, the preacher being a hearer as well. And so, Father, open up our ears, open up our eyes, open up our hearts to receive your word, to believe it, to turn from it, to to turn from our sin to it, and to uh, walk in it. Father, give us that great uh, illumination that we need, that great work of the Spirit to open up our eyes, because we do not have the strength in and of ourselves to believe, to receive it, Uh, So we ask, Father, that you would grant to us to know you more from this precious book, that you would cause us to delight in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would, by your Spirit, glorify and worship you. Uh, We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I already mentioned, as you already know, we begin a new book. Uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, what I typically like to do is I like to start with an introduction uh, to any new book that we, we start, but this one I'm not going to do uh, a whole sermon introduction. I'm just going to, as part of this sermon, introduce the book because in Ruth chapter 1 we do see a lot of the themes in this very short but very rich book. Now while the book is named Ruth, Again, the name is not given to it by God, it's ascribed to it by man. Uh, But why it's named Ruth, it very well could be named after Naomi. Because a lot of it is centered on Naomi. It focuses on Naomi's bitter sufferings and how God delivered her uh, from them. The chapter 1 narrates the very bitter situation of Naomi. But then the book ends with a focus on Naomi being filled. Ruth chapter 4, it says, 
So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And she went, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So the scripture does not focus, focus on a child being born to Ruth or, or Boaz, but rather a child is born to Naomi. Uh, the book is about Naomi's bitterness and emptiness and loss and how that is remedied or redeemed. How she becomes full again by a child being born unto her. And while Ruth and Boaz are certainly also central characters in this book, they are actually seen as playing a part in redeeming Naomi's empty and bitter life. But we see this child born to redeem Naomi's empty and bitter life is no, is no ordinary child. The child that is born to her in Bethlehem, I'm not sure if this is ringing a bell for anybody, uh, is in the line of King David. See, that's the end of the book. Who is in the line of the Christ? So we see that this child points to the Christ. We see that Naomi's bitter, empty, and cursed life is redeemed by this child being born under her in the city of David. Who would be in the line of Christ. So the book ultimately points to Christ, who would deliver from the bitter curse, death, and emptiness. And this is how the book connects to us. What happens when life becomes bitter to us because of the effects of the curse? What happens when we suffer loss? Even severe loss. What happens when we see death all around us? Where are our thoughts to turn when we see the degeneration all around us in this sin-cursed and fallen world? We've seen that in our own nation. Sexual perversion is being celebrated, even in so-called conservative states. Look across the street to one of the houses. Just because we are in Wyoming doesn't uh, prevent that type of celebration from happening. But what about when we see God's people act sinfully? Like in the day of the judges. God's people were not acting like God's people, so that there was a great hardship even in the covenant community of God's people. How are we to handle that? What happens when we experience famine in this life, whether emotional or physical, where we're concerned about whether or not we are going to be provided for, whether or not uh, we're going to have provision? 
What happens when life leaves us empty? When we sense the great emptiness in this life? Well, this is where the book of Ruth helps us. It is a story of faith. We see Ruth exercise faith in God, choosing to forsake her people and the hope and happiness she would have in her own land to go and suffer with the people of God. But it also shows what faithlessness looks like. What it looks like when God's people, Elimelech and Naomi, look to this world for life. It leaves them empty. However, it's also a story of a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer who is righteous and good. It does the right thing in bringing redemption amidst emptiness and bitterness and sin and death. It's ultimately a story of hope. A hope that is centered on that one child that is born unto us in Bethlehem. The seed, the son of David, the Christ. It points us to that, to him as our only hope. And so we begin in chapter 1 with Naomi's bitterness and ask the question, what happens when life is bitter? And we're going to see this in two parts, the bitterness and the faith. First, the bitterness. We look at this bitter situation. In verse 1, it says that this was in the time of the judges. Now, this is not just a mere historical reference for our information. Uh, rather, this really sets the context of the bitter situation that they were in. At the times of the judges, that is in the book of Judges, was a very tumultuous time in Israel. There were a series of violent invasions from foreign uh, enemies, which God brought about due to Israel's great sin. There were a series of tribal wars, tribal civil wars, wars within Israel. There was also great apostasies from the Lord, turning away from Him, turning to idols again and again. And this cycle is repeated time and time again in Judges. They're, they're, they're delivered and then they go back to their idolatry. They're delivered, they go back to it. And with every cycle, it goes downward. There's this downward spiral. It got so bad that some had no problem setting up false religions and priests for these false religions. There's also great sexual perversion that happened during that time. We read of worthless men in Gibeah surrounding a house and demanding the owner of that house to bring out his male guests that they, that they may have relations with them. So we have homosexual perversion. Then the man pushes concubine out of the house rather than protecting her and laying down his, her life for her. And those men did some very wicked and terrible things. And she ended up dying. Uh, things were so bad during that time in the book of Judges that as parents, we can actually question whether we should even read the book of Judges to our children. Should we wait until they're, they're older? It can be difficult. That's the history. And the book of Judges ends with uh, this refrain, everyone did what was evil. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Of course, doing evil. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
Probably the worst pride you could have is being right in your own eyes. And that led to utter chaos, perversion, darkness. Uh, These were some of the most bitter times in Israel's history. And that sets the background for Ruth. It is difficult in bitter times like these when it is most difficult to trust God. When it seems like His face is frowning upon us. And on top of that, there was a famine in the land in verse 1. Uh, you know, famine is no slight. We're not familiar with this in our day. Uh, we just assume that there's going to be food at the grocery store. How many of you have ever called Costco before uh, going up to, to Billings and saying, Hey, do you have food available? They would think you're, you're crazy. And that's because we're, it's just not common in our day. Of course, there's going to, I'll drive an hour and a half without calling them first, assuming there's going to be food there. But a famine is no light thing. In their day, it meant there were severe conditions, such as heat and drought, or maybe a plague of locusts, that threatened their food supply to the degree that there was a real possibility they were going to run out. Or there wasn't going to be enough food. They were running that low. However, the thing to keep in mind with Israel is the covenant that God had made with them. The old covenant. This is a specific covenant with them. And so, when they're facing famine in their land, it's because God is bringing the covenant curses upon them. Now, we can't apply that to our day. God does bring judgment still. God does bring discipline. But we can't immediately tie that to our day. They're under the old covenant, a distinct covenant, where God said in Deuteronomy 28 that He will curse the fruit of their womb and the fruit of their ground and make the rain powder in the earth like iron if they disobey Him. So this is a specific covenant with Israel. So when we see there's a famine in the land, it's not just a happenstance, it's judgment. It's curse for them disobeying. So they're in one of those cycles in Judges where they have fallen into idolatry and disobedience. But as we also see in Judges, if they respond with repentance and calling out on the name of the Lord, He would send a judge to deliver them and then restore their fortunes. However, rather than trusting the Lord and calling out His name, a certain family chooses to seek refuge in the world. We are introduced to a family from Bethlehem. The husband's name is Elimelech, which means my God is king. And the wife's name is Naomi, which means pleasant, lovely, or sweet. However, we're going to see that they end up not living up to their names. Rather, they have the opposite experience. Because rather than trusting God as their king and dwelling in his land, they seek another country. This is the opposite of what Abraham did when he left his land to seek that better country. And this is the opposite of what Ruth does when she leaves her land to go to the land of Israel, the land of Yahweh. One of the things that's important to keep in mind in the ancient Near East is that the God or deity was tied to the land. So you didn't just move like we do today to find another job move to a more beautiful place, move to a more freer place. Uh, Those are all legitimate. Rather, when they moved, it was to come under the dominion of another god. Their gods were tied to the land. And we even see that uh, in in here in this chapter where 
Ruth leaving her land and her people is to leave the gods of that land. And so for them, for Elimelech and Naomi to leave the land of Canaan was to leave their God. Just as when Ruth leaves her land, she leaves her gods, as we'll see. So Elimelech and Naomi seek refuge in the land of Moab. And spiritually, there's nothing good about Moab. The, the Moabites came from an incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughter. The Moabite leader, uh, Balak, if you remember, during Israel's wilderness wanderings, he hired Balaam to curse the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. Their women became a snare to Israel and seducing them to worship foreign gods and intermarry with them. God declares to the Israelites that they shall not make marriages with them. And at the beginning of the Judges period, the notoriously fat king of Moab, Eglon, had overtaken Israel and forced them into slavery for 18 years. This was until Ehud, that left-handed judge, plunged a knife into him uh, while the king was relieving himself. So there's nothing good about Moab. It's pagan, it's evil, it's hostile towards Israel. It's always proven to be hostile towards Israel. And yet Elimelech and his family go there, putting their trust in it for provision rather than the Lord. Really what we see here is a picture of looking to the world rather than, to, than trusting in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Uh, Dwelling in the land and trusting in the Lord were tied because of that tie between the God and the land. But they did not trust in the Lord, but left the land, left God's realm to go to enemy territory, looking outside the realm of God's kingdom for provision, looking to the world. And all they experienced was death and emptiness. Verse 3 says that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. This is a terrible fate for a, a woman in the ancient Near East. For it was her husband who provided for her. They didn't have social programs. They didn't just go out and get a job. Uh, however, it wasn't as terrible as it could be because the responsibility would then fall on the sons. And she had two sons to take care of her and to also carry on that family line, which was of utmost importance to the ancients. Now, they didn't marry Moabite women, foreigners, which was forbidden by the Lord, according to Deuteronomy 7.3. Nevertheless, they were there to take care of their mother. So she had those who would take care of her and continue the family line. But then they both tragically died. It's unusual for a child to die before his parents but it's quite unusual for both or all sons to die. She lost two sons. What is even more unusual is, is for both of those sons to have not had any children. And given the order of the events, which they were stated, marrying, living ten years there, and then dying, it seems like they were married long, or ten years, or at least long enough to have had children. But they didn't. And so what this seems to indicate is the Lord had closed the womb. This is the most absolute worst fate for any 
women in ancient Israel, in that culture. What Naomi is going through is the worst nightmare that any woman in the ancient Near East could face. Naomi is completely empty. She is beyond childbearing years now and beyond marrying years. She not, she not only has no husband, she also has no children. Now, this was the greatest fear among women in the ancient Near East and in Israel. Not having children, not being able to preserve the family line. So by going to Moab, the only thing she experienced was death and emptiness. A really bitter situation. And in this very rare providence of God, the Holy Spirit uses it. In Holy Scripture, really to give us a picture, a shadow, an illustration, an analogy of what this world gives us. We think this world will provide for us, that it will fulfill and satisfy us, especially when things get tough in God's kingdom. However, however the world is only filled with death and emptiness. There is life back in the land of God, which prompts Naomi to go back. This brings us to the second part of the story. We saw the bitterness, now we see this faith. But not necessarily with Naomi. Verses 6 and 7, it says that she heard that the Lord had given his people bread, and so she sets out to return. Now, I don't believe this is an example of faith. She left Israel because of the circumstances, and now she's returning to Israel because of the circumstances, now that the circumstances are better. And nevertheless, the Lord seems to be using these circumstances to draw Naomi back. This sounds reminiscent, maybe there's an echo here of the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son who left for a distant country, and then he says to himself, how much of my, how much of my father's servants had more than enough bread? Well, verse 6 literally says the Lord gave them bread. She hears they have bread, and now she's returning from this distant country. But she's not really exhibiting faith, given what she says to her daughters-in-law, which is probably the worst case of evangelism ever recorded. Verses 8 and 9. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So Naomi discourages her daughters-in-law from turning to the Lord. But she calls them to turn. It's not turning from idolatry, turning from sin, turning from Moab to the Lord. It's turning from the Lord to go back to Moab. She believes that is where they will find rest and be most blessed rather than the land of Israel, which was their rest. This is what she believed after all when she came to Moab. And she still seems to be holding on to it even after everything that's happened that show the folly of sin. Even after they pushed back and said they wanted to go with her, she pushed back even harder and told them, turn to Moab on account of her age and inability to provide husbands for them. She does not anticipate them finding husbands in Israel, likely because they're foreigners, and the Lord forbid that. Even though her sons did it, she knows it's still against God's word. So Orpah finally listened and went back to Moab, but Ruth was of a different spirit. 
Nevertheless, again, the worst case of evangelism continues, and Naomi for a third time tells Ruth to go back to Moab. Verse 15. See, your sister-in-law has gone to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. One of the words that's used quite frequently in this passage is the word return or turn. It's the same in the Hebrew. And Naomi uses it to encourage her daughters-in-law to turn back to false gods. You see in verse 15. But much different is the case with Ruth, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. Really what we have here is a beautiful profession of faith. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. She's not going to leave Naomi. However, it's not merely for Naomi's sake. Ruth wants Naomi's God. She says, your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. This is that great covenant formula where God declares, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Ruth has likely heard of of God from her late husband or Naomi's family. And even though Naomi tried to push her away, yet the Lord had sovereignly done a work in Ruth that could not keep her away. Ruth is going to leave her people, her land, her gods, to go to the land of the Lord. The way Ruth 2.12 describes it is that Ruth is coming under the wings of of God, taking refuge in the shadow of His wings. That's what she's doing. She's just not out looking for a better life. In fact, there's no promise of a better life. It's interesting that this is the opposite of Naomi. Naomi left her land, and therefore her God, to find refuge in Moab with the promise of a better life. Well, Ruth too, Ruth also, is leaving her land and her God's but not with the promise of a better life. There's no promise that she's going to find a husband. She's probably going to be an outcast. But nevertheless, she follows. Because when God grants someone faith, they do not follow the Lord for the promise of earthly blessings or a better earthly life. Rather, they follow Him because of who He is. That He is God. He Himself is the fountain of life. And even if it does not result in greater earthly blessings, it's all worth it because we gain God. No earthly benefit promised for Ruth to do this. But nothing deters one from following the Lord when He sovereignly calls. And, beloved, while we are to seek to evangelize and to share the gospel with the greatest clarity and as accurately as we can, yet... This, I think, is an example of how somebody coming to faith isn't dependent ultimately on our evangelism. If if there's ever a time you evangelize somebody and said, I did a very poor job, just think about this this evangelism here that uh, that Naomi did. And yet Ruth still came and left everything. 
Ruth is so determined that she swears an oath. The end of verse 17. This is oath language. This is, let the Lord curse me if I do not follow you. And so Naomi finally just was quiet. Let her, let her come. But she does have something to say when she returns home. Uh, when the whole town is amazed that Naomi has returned and asks, is this Naomi? I mean, she's obviously aged some since she's left. Ten years. Actually, is it's amazing how much someone can change in ten years. And probably aged more rapidly due to sorrow. Uh, she says to them in verses 20 through 21, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi means pleasant, lovely, or sweet, and Mara means bitter. And she says, call me bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She left full, she's come back empty. God has testified against her, she says, as if God stood in court and, and cursed her, condemned her. And indeed, the Lord in His sovereignty did bring all these hardships upon her. But there's no acknowledgement of sin on her part. In this situation, remember, she left the Lord. There's no recognition of what she did wrong in dwelling in the land, trusting the, the rather than trusting the Lord to not dwelling in the land, not trusting the Lord to provide as those who stayed in the land. Neither does she recognize any good that the Lord has done. She's bringing back a daughter-in-law. And this is a reflection. This is an echo of Jew and Gentile coming together as one here. Nevertheless, it really was a very bitter lot that she had been dealt. Losing a husband, losing two sons, being left empty without the possibility of being filled again. So it seems. However, they already began to experience blessing by coming to Bethlehem. Verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So when they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, they were coming just as the barley harvest had begun. Upon arrival, they were already beginning to be filled. Filled with this bread from God. This bread that God had provided. Remember, He's the one that provided it. He had visited His people. Upon arrival, they were beginning to be filled. But little did Naomi know that the richest blessing, which would reverse the death, emptiness, and bitter curse she had experienced, as I mentioned, a child that would be born in Bethlehem. So I mentioned already in Ruth 4, it says that Naomi, unto Naomi is born for her in the town of Bethlehem a child. And this child born unto her brought fullness to her emptiness and life in the midst of death. And this child is none other than in the line of David from whom the Christ would come. Naomi tried to find refuge in the world apart from God and only experienced bitterness, emptiness, and death. But she finds fullness and life in Bethlehem, the bread of God and the child born unto her in the city of David. All her fullness and life 
comes from this single child born under her in Bethlehem. So it is with us, beloved. All our fullness in life ultimately comes from a single child who is Christ the Lord, the bread which has come down from heaven. But he would experience the greatest bitterness. He would experience emptiness as his father forsook him on the cross as he stood in our place. He would experience death, eternal death, for all our sins as he bore them on the cross. This would be so that we would have life. We would have life to the fullest, as Christ says, the life of the world to come, fullness of joy in his presence. And brothers and sisters, this life is filled with bitter circumstances, emptiness. And there's nothing promised to us in this life except suffering. No possessions, no happiness, not even another day is promised to us. Thankfully, we often do experience blessings in this life and happiness and, and another day. I don't think any of us even thinks that tomorrow may be the day I die. It very well could be. But because we experience so much blessing, we tend not to think that way, but all can be taken from this life. So we do not seek a life apart from God, a life of fullness in this world. As much as we are thankful to God for the blessings we do experience, rather, we come to Bethlehem and see He whose birth the angels say. When life is bitter, which it often is, whether we are obedient or disobedient. In fact, sometimes being obedient leads to more bitter circumstances. We remember our only hope, our ultimate joy, our true life. Christ, who is our life. We remember the words of the song, All I have is Christ. And we trust Him. We wait upon Him. We call upon Him in our greatest difficulties. Knowing that He cares for us. He will meet all our needs. And He will sustain us with His grace even in the hardest of times. We draw near to Him. Not to this world. We trust that He has met our ultimate need of bringing forgiveness. Taking the bitter curse upon Himself. Giving us eternal life in the true promised land. For all the bitterness of this life will forever come to an end. All our tears will be wiped away. All the sorrows that we think will never go away will be completely gone in that world to come. In this life, we will have tribulation. Take heart. Christ has overcome this world. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we ask that you would fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ. This child born to us, for us, in the city of David in Bethlehem. Father, we do ask that you would cause us to, to see his glory, depend upon him, to grow in His likeness.
Strengthen us, Father, according to the hope of the gospel. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.